0: Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm teaching on the miraculous, the miracles, God's supernatural uh, treatment of us, and uh, as I speak, I want you guys to be stirred and become aware that, in fact, God is supernatural. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or think. So he's not limited on his end, and in the Psalms, it says that they limited the Lord, Unbelief limits the Lord. Lack of knowledge creates limitation. So this book is not just snapshots from antiquity, it's God's word. It is history, but it's also living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's fuel, not just for thought, food for thought, but it's fuel for our faith. And like we go to a gas station to get gasoline for our tank, or we go to a restaurant to get nutrition so we can keep motoring through life, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So this is, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So in a lifespan, God calls us to key things. In a lifespan, we have we hold potential, because in the Bible we are made in God's image. We're not just so much uh, uh, fetal material that just kind of accidentally happens and we just float through life in some sort of randomness and chaos. No, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and He made us in His image. He made us for His purposes. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve and all the rest of us, in fact, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Dave Matthews has a song and he keeps talking about original sin. And uh, it's pervasive throughout society. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that's, it'd be morbid except that a rescuer came to deliver us and rescue us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his dear son. So. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have my Bible, it's on page 353. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to read to you about the whole issue of faith. Faith is trusting God. Faith is believing that he has a plan and that he can be relied upon through the course of our lives and that our obedience matters. And it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It says earlier in the chapter that the people of the, in the old days, in verse 2, the men of old gained approval or gained a good report. So people, men and women of the Bible, and we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and read about King Jehoshaphat and we're going to see about that man of old that gained approval. How many of you would like to have approval? None of us like disapproval. None of us like rejection. How many of you like to be accepted? The Bible says we're accepted in the beloved and that our faith is an actual acceptable sacrifice to the Lord and faith actually comes by hearing God's word. Faith is this particular lifestyle where we trust God, we take hold of his promises, we take action. It's February, it's Black History Month. Frederick Douglass, as I said earlier, uh, said he spent 20 years praying and then he put legs to his prayer and he saw things change. Faith without corresponding action is dead. Faith with action brings honor to God. Noah built an ark, that pleased the Lord. Abraham stepped out into a land he knew not, that pleased the Lord. Sarah trusted that she could have a baby, past the ability to conceive, and she had Isaac, and that pleased the Lord. And it says here in verse 32, what shall we say then? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy." wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. This is an amazing uh, end of this chapter because it underscores some of the great victories and also the hardships and some of the vision that wasn't completed in a lifespan and yet will be fulfilled. This underscores how there's a continuum and how we uh, have a tremendous history. We also will leave a legacy. We have a future. And that there are other people attached to our obedience. And there are results Uh, and consequences for sin that causes all kinds of problems, but also, conversely, obedience begets blessing. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. If you disobey, you'll be devoured by the sword. So there's that two-edged sword of that, or the double-sided coin, the two sides of a coin. And so we want to stay on the right side of it, don't we? We want to walk by faith and be pleasing to the Lord. In fact, it says, since we have all these examples, and I'm going to show you You know, last week I talked about Ezekiel prophesying over the Valley of Dry Bones. This week I'm going to show you in a snapshot, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, about Jehoshaphat facing off with a complex, multifaceted challenge, and yet how God gave him a strategy and a plan that caused them to win and overcome. How many of you like to have some breakthrough? God wants you to have some breakthrough. And in fact, the people in the grand stands of heaven, it says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance on the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Look at somebody next to you and say, there's a race set before you. God has a plan for each one of our lives and we might as well fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against him, and yet he remained faithful. Hallelujah. Father, I pray wisdom on this and timeliness in this message. For the people here and the people that are watching or the people that will watch. I pray this ends up becoming epic in our thinking. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Mianites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king and Judah was being invaded by not one, not two, but three kingdoms. You remember in World War II, There was the Western Front, there was the Pacific Theater, there was the Russian Front, there was North Africa. Patsy's uncle fought in the North Africa before it was World War II. Then he fought in World War II as a Marine. Then he fought in Korea, then he fought in Vietnam. (laughs) That guy was was legit, he lived to be 95, and we visited him, his name was Charles, and we visited him in Tennessee in the mountains, we asked him what he was doing. He said he was visiting, He was bringing firewood to the old people. <laughs> chopping firewood with an axe. He wore overall, bib overalls and he had a flat top. He picked me up off the ground at my wedding. <laughs> picked me up off the ground. And I suppose he would have been right up there with Jehoshaphat. He would have been an asset. In fighting this complex battle but I mean he lived through so many different layers of fights he was a marine so he had some very interesting stories and um, this was certainly a situation that I hope you can derive some sort of a parallel in your own life that sometimes things come from various sides all at once sometimes things are seasons are easier than other times but Nevertheless, this was a convergence of pressure from all directions. And some, of, some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are at Hazazan Tamar, which is the Engedi. The Engedi is just west of the Dead Sea. Things happened there with David as well, it's near Masada. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. Now, this is the king of Judah, and he yet is honest enough to admit that he's afraid and smart enough to turn his attention to seek the Lord. Everybody say, seek the Lord. Lord. I just want to commend you. You're smart enough to find your way to get in church, get under the teaching of the word, enter in with thanksgiving, press into God. I think that would be, uh, you know, I think I can't speak for the two that just have a 50th anniversary, but I'm certain that God's grace helped them through a thing or two. Oh, yeah. You know, how many of you would say the Lord has been good to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this certainly is a developing story here. And I love this particular thing. And in fact, you need to see that when pressure comes from all sides, it's important to have clear communication. This guy gave detail. And he got the specifics of what what he was dealing with. And then he uh, then, though he was afraid, immediately turned his attention to seek the Lord. He didn't sit and stew and become victimized and wring his hands. He didn't go and isolate as Saul did when uh, they had their battle with the Philistines and Goliath was mocking the armies of the living God. He got seized, but Jehoshaphat did not get seized. Jehoshaphat had the same kinds of bad news and the same pressures and the same fears, only he made this distinct turn to seek the Lord. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. Let's turn our attention right now to seek the Lord. Say this with me. I am turning my attention to seek the Lord. You at home, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Go in and get embedded and immersed in Isaiah 55. Go and read about, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you will receive. Because this in fact is what's happening here. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. I've done this, I've, I started to pray and I, my attention was drifting somewhere else. I remember one time I was out in the back of our old 1924 farmhouse and I was pacing on the little dirt road by the cistern and the, the old fence. And I was walking back and forth And I was praying, and uh, after about 15 minutes, the Lord said, hey, uh, let me know when you want to connect with me on this. And I got this sense that I was just going through autopilot, and it was like, God was like, hey, let me know when you're about ready to come connect with me, because what are you doing right now, you know? And uh, it was kind of funny that he called me out on that. Yeah, well, it's good that I got called out on it, but it wasn't good that I did it. And I've done it since. But when you turn your attention to seek the Lord, that's where it gets enriched. You really pay attention. I've learned a lot more when I pay attention. My son's tried to teach me uh, guitar chords, you know. He sees me glaze over, dad, dad, dad. So I come back to it, you know. and, and, And if I just stay with it, I'll actually learn it. And then I'll start to apply myself and then you get something called muscle memory. Everybody say muscle memory and you actually can remember, like, have you ever seen guitarists? I remember John Lennon, he he would play and he would hold his guitar like this when it was the suit period and he would play and I would think, how can he play all those chords without looking at his hand? Muscle memory, because he practiced practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Tom Murillo from Rage Against the Machine, when he he said he wasn't particularly gifted, but he was disciplined and he wanted to learn. And while he was going through college, he practiced eight hours a day, four two-hour increments. And he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. That's deep. And Jehoshaphat apparently understood where his help came from because when he was afraid, he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Even They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. That's good leadership. That leader is not projecting perfectionism. The leader is not modeling independence. The leader is not strutting around like a superhero with bravado. He is a person like everybody else and he sees the situation as it really is. He's not in denial about it. He's not ignoring it. He's facing it, but he's turning his attention to seek the Lord. Say this with me. I am turning my attention to seek the Lord. So when Tom Morello was showing how he learned the pentatonic scale, you know, he was showing that in the slow part and then he showed how he could shred it and do it in the fast part. And I saw him do a tribute to a blues guitarist at the induction of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he played with a country guy and then a guy who played harmonica and he played the song excellently. And you would think he's just the guy that's flipping switches and making odd sounds, but he actually developed, this is what, Pablo Picasso did. He learned perspective, he learned color, he learned light, he learned figure drawing. He actually was very gifted at the realism of his time, but then he got inspired by the primitive art of children, of Africa, and then he went off into his own, like my dad would say, I could even do that. Well, my dad never did do that, but he did, but Picasso did do that, you know what I'm saying? So before you ridicule stuff, kind of look at where, what it took for the people to get to where they were. Is it gimmickry? Is it just schmaltzy? You may think that, but man, Picasso labored and labored and labored to learn. And you can see some of his paintings even in our own museum, where the realism was there, the depth was there. But then you can go see stuff that looks like it's two-dimensional, looks almost cartoony. It looks like, a, you know, just big black lines and just primary colors. But, but, you know, that stupid thing went for like $17.3 million, you know. Um, Jehoshaphat is modeling something here that I think we need to get a hold of. We're turning our attention to seek the Lord. We're in an interesting era all around the globe. I talked to a friend in England. I I was in touch with people in Kosovo. I just got a message from Alma in Kosovo. Just came through COVID and she's healthy now and she's doing well. Isolation. Pastor Driton has tried to build this church and then had to close for weeks and weeks, you know. Uh, They're not alone. It's all over the world, you know. Uh, Our, in North America, the United States, we had a very interesting uh, election year. It was one of the more harsh Societally challenged times in terms of division and of, of conflict, of strife. Um, and yet, there's some important things for us to see. We have a solid and sure foundation, the cornerstone, whose name is Jesus. And he is a very present help in times of need. This certainly was constituted as a time of need for Jehoshaphat because. Moab, Ammon, and the Mianites, later on Mount Seir, they had a battle like crazy. This was worse than World War II. This was worse than the most devastating moments you can imagine. But but Jehoshaphat, he not only turned his attention to seek the Lord, he inspired a whole group of people to do the same thing. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, and he began to humble himself and pray. He began to acknowledge how big our God is, the God of our fathers. Are you not the God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. My view is that we ought to be singing songs of deliverance, primarily, even at funerals. We should be singing victory songs. Songs of deliverance, songs of assertion, songs of authority, songs of who our God is. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Ours is not a message of moaning, murmuring, kind of wispy little nothingness. No, we serve a triumphant God, and this is what this king is basically articulating. You're the God of the heavens. You're the God and the ruler over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Do you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants Did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there in your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house And cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. I have found this to be the case. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God for certain raises a standard against him. I am a product of a Jesus movement during a time that wasn't a global pandemic, but there were similarities in its cycle. There was such a hostility between generations. There was racial disharmony. There was anti-war, war conflict. There were all kinds of issues with the economy. With the ecology, there was pressure, there were concerns about the water supply, concerns about the air quality, concerns about uh, energy, concerns about the society and the the social mores were shifting and the values were being reassessed. And there were attitudes about God and cultic things and all kinds of forms of, uh, it, it was like the Moabites, the Mianites and Mount Seir and so forth. And there had to have been a breed of people similar to Jehoshaphat saying, God, you are a mighty and holy God. I see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament that you are miraculous. And God, we are coming to you on that basis and we are trusting you. We are affirming that, God, we need you and we're grateful, in fact, that you're not weak toward us, but you're mighty in us. And I know you will hear and you will deliver us. He says, Now behold, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from our possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. In the English Bible, my new American standard, it rhymes Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Say that with me. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How often is that the case? We look to the Lord for help. We look to the Lord to overcome our struggles, to overcome temptation, to figure out how to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the different seasons of our lives. Uh, As our days are, the Bible says, so shall our strength be. So he affirms, Lord, we're getting our eyes on you. Remember, he turned his attention to seek the Lord. This is valuable. There's a value in focus. There's a value in dependence on the Lord right now. There's such a strong anointing on this. You're doing it right now. For me to tell you, I don't have to tell you to get in this room, you're already in it. It would be frustrating for me to say, hey, get in this room, you're already in this room. So I'm commending you for being in the church house right now. I'm commending you for dialing in, and even though your friends have been texting you, you, you've just kept rolling it off so you can pay attention to this message. Way to go. (laughs) Now, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children until we start children's church we're doing that in this church house we're all in this together occasionally you'll hear the yelping of a young kid and I am happy to hear that because that means young parents are working to bring their kids into this house to get them in this context so they could hear the life-giving word of God and we of various ages can experience the blessing and the cohesion of all the generations uh, that God's put together hallelujah then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Je- Je- Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, the, of the sons of Asaph. And he said, quote, listen all Judah and, in the, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. Or the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, isn't that a musical wonder? Say, the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. You see, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In that Jesus movement period, it was not a battle between socioeconomics. It was not a battle between races. It was not a battle between genders. It was not a battle between ages. It was a spiritual battle. This was a, a battle with physical, literal uh, uh, enemies, but there was a spiritual component behind it. And that's where these guys fasted, prayed, so, turned their attention to seek the Lord and got revelation. I am gonna fight the good fight of faith. I'm gonna cooperate with God. He is gonna give me something transcendent above mi- military knowledge because I need God. And in fact, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And when it comes to these battles and crises and troubles and trials in life, When you're a Christian, when you're a believer, when you're a Jesus follower, you have a spiritual leg to stand on. And here this man is prophesying uh, and, and he says, tomorrow, verse 16, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Turn and look at somebody and say, the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. That's how he stationed himself. He bowed his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites from the the sons of the Kohathites Kohathites, and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. So here's the scenario. These guys have been praying, seeking God, and the Lord's beginning to give direction. And then in verse 20, a peculiar download occurs. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him, In holy attire, as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. My daughter-in-law, Megan, her grandmother, Gloria, taught for over 30 years at Sheremeth Jewish congregation. And she uh, told me this Hebrew word for loving kindness is hesed. Everybody say hesed. Hesed means obligatory, loyal love. It's about 250 times in the Bible. It is one of the most profound of God's behaviors toward his people. His obligatory, loyal love, it's not just a whim. It's deep, covenant, faithful devotion. God is cemented toward his people. God is inclined to care for and love in earnest, and to make sure that, that we, uh, we win in life. God loves you. God cares about you. He has a plan for each increment of each moment of each successive period of your life and mine. Hallelujah. And that God is our God, and it was amazing in this time. And let this thunder off the pages and get into your situation where you feel like you're being blindsided and sucker punched and kicked in the back of your head from three sides, because that's how Jehoshaphat and the people felt. But they turned their attention to seek the Lord. By the way, I haven't paid much attention to all the prophecies that have been coming out over the last few months. I haven't been scrolling the internet because I just don't have time for it. I have a more sure word of prophecy. I love and appreciate prophecy but I judge prophecy, and when things are going off and people are saying things that don't come to pass, you just have to put them on the shelf and just keep moving on because God's word will surely come to pass. And this will help you not to be disappointed if you fix your hope on the living God and not on man when people get in overtures that maybe are not necessarily prompted by the Lord. All through the Old Testament, people prophesied various things. The ones that were true came to pass. The ones that were false fell to the ground. You just still have to love God and just put your trust in Him. Can I hear an amen? amen? So when it says, put your trust in the Lord and you will be established, put your trust in His prophets and you'll succeed, this was a true, obviously, a true word from uh, Jehaziel. So we can, we can count on that. We can see that. Uh, when uh, Nathan prophesied to, to David, it was valid. When Agabus prophesied to Paul, it was valid. But a lot of stuff that's talked and blabbed, you just have to put it on the shelf. And I spoke to somebody recently. Prophecy in the New Testament is for confirmation, not for revelation. And in the New Testament, God would prefer to guide us by the Holy Spirit and His word is a lamp to our feet. In fact, that is the primary way Christians are led. So... We have to watch out and be cautious, and it's a cautionary tale what we have been seeing. So we have to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. Continue to, even Balaam said, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do either more or less. Right. People pressure pastors. What do you think? What do you think? I, you know, Wonderful, deep, trustworthy ministries that I've watched have said, I don't, I don't have anything. Thank God they didn't manufacture stuff. People come out of nowhere. They say all kinds of stuff. You judge it. If it falls to the ground, you just move on. It's like, okay, I'm not going to let it shake my faith because my faith was never in man in the first place. Verse 22. When they began singing and praising, mm, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. That's Hebrew for they had their chops busted. Literally struck down. And this reminds me, it's reminiscent of later on when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail in the midnight hour. They lifted their voices. They began to sing praises to God. And the building shook. The chains fell off. The best part was that the Philippian jailer and his family got saved. And Marlon Crothers wrote a book from prison to praise it's an emphasis that came out of the movement I part of music was very important it wasn't just going through the hymns although hymns there's such great theology in some of the hymns and the hymn writers were anointed and in fact thank God now we have an honor for our heritage with some of the beautiful hymns that have been written over over the centuries actually Um, But there were songs of deliverance. There were songs of praise. And God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 22, God inhabits or rides upon the praises of his people. What was happening here? I think this. I think God spoke a directive to a military genius and gave him something that they had never, ever even considered doing before. And they had the praisers, the singers and 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 the praisers, go on ahead and sing. I heard it said, and I think it's true, What this did, like when they turned their attention to seek the Lord, I think by praising and worshiping God, their attention was on God while they were going out into the battle and while they were singing praises to God, instead of getting in fear, they were being bolstered in their faith because they were singing praises to a faithful and mighty God and God inhabits the praises of his people. One time I was really depressed. I was walking out to my car. and The Lord said, why don't you lift your hands and praise me? because I was depressed, I was down, I, I just felt my face, I could feel my face. I had an unfortunate uh, facial expression, I could feel it. All my muscles were scowling frown muscles. What was really intense was they, I had um, these side windows, the, this, the, the side mirrors, rather, mirrors, and, and um, the cover of them were chrome. So I remember I was walking out to my car all, you know, dealing, with, feeling pitiful and miserable and dealing with trouble, and I got to my car, and um, the Lord said, why don't you lift your hands and praise me? So I had stuff in one hand, so I, lift up, I lifted up one hand, and I caught my eye looking at myself in the reflection of this really odd-shaped um, mirror. It was bullet-shaped, so like I had this really big nose and eye, you know, and then my head was really little, you know, and and, and, and then... My arm was over here like a little bitty little stick. And, and so it was funny, and, but I was still I don't know, I was singing praises, and it cracked me up that I caught myself, and, and that was pretty much the way I was, probably from God's point of view. That's how you look to me right now. You look like the reflection in a carnival mirror. And I made, it, it, it checked me. And I think the circumstances here looked pretty warped, distorted, freakish. I think it looked pretty warped, distorted, and freakish for the people that were my elders when I was a teenager. And they had worked so hard through the Depression, and they worked so hard through the wars, and they had to sacrifice, and they had rations, and they had to cope, and then they came back and started to build an excellent economy. Highway systems under President Eisenhower, amazing development. Uh, of housing and so forth. People were having opportunity with the GI Bill to come back and get educated and start over. The stupid crazies that were trying to take over the world uh, were out of the way, and there was a new hope. Uh, And then all of a sudden, the flipping kids start acting like a bunch of idiots, and society just goes skewed. Counterculture, stupidity is still there. It's just rebellion, and it's like the sin of witchcraft. So it's like a bunch of voodoo. They came and alighted upon another. People that are alive going, what just happened? So they got, to, got on their knees. They, started, they turned their attention to seek the Lord. And God began to move in such a wonderful way. Don't you think this is amazing that when they began to sing, God set up ambushments and routed this enemy. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So they started to cannibalize each other and there was a great deliverance for Jehoshaphat, for Judah and for Israel. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and behold, there, there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And they were, there, they, they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. So there was triumph. There was breakthrough. The pressure had come upon from three sides. Clear communication came about what they were dealing with. Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he turned his attention to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast, and all of Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Jehoshaphat prayed again, and he said, God, you're a big God, and he magnified the Lord and exalted him. You're the ruler over the kingdoms and the nations. That should be the essence and the beginning of all of our prayer. Before we murmur, before we articulate Mount Seir and Moab and Ammon and all that, we should begin to start with, God, you're a big God. We should start with testimony. God, you got me through this stupid thing I did before. You forgave me of, of, of all my sin. You, 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 God, you answered my prayer. You got me through this. You got me through this. We overcome by the word of our testimony. How many of you have had some testimonies in your life? Dust them off. Bring them forth. That God is your God right now. That'll propel you past the depression that's trying to eclipse your thinking. Get turn your attention to seek the Lord. Push through all the minutiae. This is why this stuff bothers me when Christians get jacked up and start talking so harshly about things that aren't even that essential. Get back to remember, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Well, but it was Moab, it was Ammon, it was Seir. But then he said, no, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. This is a spiritual thing. Remember, it was because they didn't really deal with them before, now they had to deal with it. God sometimes will deal with a thing and then he'll come back and say, now let's deal with this. God's about ready to manifest himself and deal with a component and issues that have been uh, trying to to, to stop and hinder. Uh, But God is God. He is master, brilliant beyond words, beyond description, beyond the ability to even assess how genius our God is. And he, look, if the the demons had known what was happening with Jesus, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God is so powerfully smart, and he is about ready to manifest himself on a a fresh level to the nations. And that's why the enemies tried to bombard you from three sides, try to oppress you try to get you out of God's will, try to overstimulate you. There's so much activity. There's so much movement right now. I mean, and a lot of it is not good. Don't be led by offenses. Don't be led by big blabbity mouth people. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and, and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in the Word. You won't be disappointed. I didn't hang my hat on any of these things people said because I didn't bear witness in the first place. It's like blabbity, blabity blabbity. It's like, well, okay, I don't get the, my pilot light isn't really that bright on that one right now. So it's like, I hope he's right. I hope she's right. But I know God's word is right. And I know that he's faithful. And I know that he knows what's up. And he loves you. And he loves me. He loves us. So much that he's going to walk us through. He's helping us to develop. He's helping us to mature. There were people in the book of uh, he- Hebrews that they, did, they died. They lived and died, not seeing the, all the fulfillment of all that they were hoping for. I think we should live in a way where we're right in the middle of a project when we die, right in the middle of a prayer, right in the middle of rebuking devils, right in the middle of leading somebody to the Lord, right in the middle of planning the next steps, right in the middle of building something. That's what I think. I think we should be about the Father's business fervently, enthusiastically, all the way to our last breath and believe God that it'll perpetuate and the job will get accomplished. Let's all stand up on our feet. Hallelujah. Here are my points. Walk in daily obedience with God. Number two, be realistic about life. It's not what it's supposed to be. It is what it is. Number three, look for specific detail about the situation you're facing. Don't jump to conclusions till all the facts are in. Number four, this is for you note takers, if you can do shorthand. This is amazing. I have an eight-point sermon I'm giving to you now. (laughs) Seek, turn your attention to seek the Lord about everything. Humble yourself, repent, fast, confess the word, believe God for victory. Number five, look for the Holy Spirit's direction. Look for his guidance. Remember John 14, 16 through 18. He will give you another helper. Number six, obey God. Look at somebody next to you and say, obey God. God. Number seven, sing and praise God enthusiastically. Remember Acts 16, like I said. Number eight, you will get results. Say, I'm out for results. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir. Mary and John, you know, you take your stand and you begin to thank God. God, you, are, you gave Abraham and Sarah a baby and that you are a faithful God. And in this service, you're, you're in Calgary, Canada, but right now, Dave and Melody are having their 50th anniversary, so there's a potential for you. There are people in this room that went through terrible marriage troubles and they've come through the other side. There are people in here who lost their sweetheart and they're working through their grief and God's helping them out. And there are people in here who have had terrible circumstances on three different levels, like my Patsy's uncle Charles, fighting in North Africa, then fighting in the Europe, and then fighting in Korea, then fighting in Vietnam, fighting all his life. But in the end, he gave his heart to Jesus. We made sure of it. So say this with me, I'm turning my attention to seek the Lord. The battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. And I put my trust in Him. I'm trusting God to smite my enemy, bust him in the chops, to push him back, to defeat them, stub their toes, in Jesus' name. Now, where does this take us? America 2021. Here's where I think it takes us. You personally spend time getting strengthened in your walk with the Lord as an individual. We as a local church the devil has worked hard to bring uh, to break up the flow, but notice we're in this together, and we are the planting of the Lord. And He has something to say about being uh, creating a body that He He plants us in. And uh, it, you know, He's the head of the church. He's holding us all together by that which every joint supplies, every ligament, every tissue. Connective tissue. Hallelujah. So get built up and strengthened in the Holy Spirit. Go and back and reread 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and just study its pages. Do little notes on the side of your margin. Underline, do cross-references. Meditate on how God, in fact, gave them a unique strategy. I think. Ralph Wilkerson was a classical Pentecostal preacher, but he morphed into adaptation to reach the youth, as did so many others, so many didn't, so many were indifferent and couldn't go in the transition. But if we just do this as individuals and you practice with your own personal battle or you find some people you love and lift them up in prayer, Pull back from letting people sneak into your headspace and throw winds of doctrine and all kinds of manipulation and get in the word for yourself. People that want to draw disciples to themselves, you might want to rethink rallying with them. You might want to just get with God and stay in a good solid local church. One great man of God said 2021 is the year of the local church and we started Rush Limbaugh just passed. He started in 88, the same year we started, 1988. He started his whole conversation on the radio. We started this conversation. And listen, this thing, the kingdom of God, will see no end. His throne is forever and ever. Put one hand on your heart, one hand toward heaven, and say, I'm I'm turning my attention to seek the Lord. Jesus' name.